0: which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So far from Acts 1. Let's also turn to the letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll read there verses 1 through 16. "...one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men." It's quoting there from Psalm 68. "...in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things." So far, the Word of God. The text that I want to give particular attention to this evening are the verses 7 through 12 of Ephesians 4, and it's just a few verses, so let's read them again. Ephesians 4, then, verse 7. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So far, the Word of God. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, it might seem at first glance that the ascension of the Lord Jesus is not really something that we as a church should be celebrating. After all, isn't that when the Lord Jesus left us? Uh, Why would we celebrate the Lord Jesus leaving us? Uh, We might think, wouldn't it have been better if the Lord Jesus had stayed here on earth? He was risen after all. He lives still now forever in His body. Could He not have reigned over the earth right away in Jerusalem. That's maybe the way we would have orchestrated things. And yet, it's been the case that since the days of the early church, the church has always celebrated the Lord Jesus' ascension. They've made it a day of celebration and rejoicing. What I want to reflect on tonight are the reasons why it is indeed a day of celebration. It would be good for us to remember from the outset uh, to to uh, see this event, the event of Christ's ascension, through the eyes of the apostles, the disciples and apostles who witnessed the events. Uh, it would be very easy for us, 2,000 years after the fact, uh, to see the ascension as only a loss. The Lord Jesus is gone. He used to be here. He's not anymore. And in our minds, that... that 2,000 years later, that means to us he doesn't exercise the same power and authority on earth that he used to exercise when he was still here. But the reality is, is very much the opposite, and the disciples would have intuitively got that. Uh, the reason for that is they had seen him risen from the dead. They had seen before their eyes the, the real evidence of God's Almighty power. Uh, they, they had seen the Lord Jesus die on the cross. They had seen the place where he was buried. And then on Easter morning, their lives had just been turned upside down by seeing the Lord Jesus risen from the dead. Uh, and, and what they recognized in that moment was the power of God working through the Lord Jesus. Uh, so when Jesus ascended into heaven, as, we're, uh, as it's recorded for us in Acts 1... Uh, even though the disciples did not yet understand why he had to go they recognized that his going was an act of victory not an act of surrender or retreat uh, they didn't understand how it fit into his plan but they recognized this is part of his plan and purpose he's leaving with a reason and and with a purpose uh, so, so they recognized whatever the Lord is going to do, we don't know why He's leaving, but whatever He's going to do, it is part of His good plan. And that's the first thing that we want to think about tonight. The ascension of the Lord Jesus is the victorious, triumphant culmination of all of the Lord Jesus' work on earth. That's what the disciples understood when they saw Him leaving. They saw He has finished what he was going to do here on earth, and he's on to the next thing that he's going to do for us in heaven. So it's the culmination of all of Christ's work. Uh, it's not a pause or an interlude in Christ's work. He didn't leave us for us to think, okay, hopefully he comes back and then he starts working again. No, he, he left as part of his work and as culmination of the work that he had done on earth. Uh, the the words that Jesus cried out on the cross uh, before he died would have been the words that resonated in the disciples as they saw him go. And these, these are the words that he said, It is finished. That's what they would have thought when they saw the Lord Jesus going up into heaven. Indeed, it must be finished for the Lord Jesus to now be going. And that's what the Apostle Paul also highlights for us in Ephesians 4. He, he writes... Uh, "...in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things." So uh, the Apostle Paul draws our eyes to the fact that the one who's ascending is the one who previously made the decision to descend, which means there's a purpose in, in, in that descending and subsequent ascending." Uh, the Jesus who ascended before the eyes of the disciples is the same Jesus who previously descended with a task in mind, and when he ascended, it was a task complete. His task was our salvation to live the life that we should have lived to die the death that we deserve to die, to pay the price to redeem, to purchase sinners like you and me for himself to belong. To him, and and to do that, he had to descend, and he had to descend very low. Paul also emphasizes that the one who descended into the lower regions of the earth. The ESV translates that with a a, a comma: the lower regions, comma the earth. Uh, But but in the Greek, it's the lower regions of the earth. the The lowest of low places is where the Lord descended. Uh, He descended when he was. Conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, there was a descent from glory into humility as a humble baby. He descended uh, still still further when he endured insults and slander all his life. He descended still further uh, when he was betrayed by Judas and he descended still further when he was put on trial and then crucified and and, and mocked and spit on and ultimately killed. And then he descended still further when his soul left his body and he entered the realm of the dead. But he did all that descending with a purpose in mind, with a task to accomplish, to purchase for himself a people who would forever belong to him. And that people is you and me. He, de- he descended in order to ransom us from the power of sin, to break the grip of death and the grip of Satan, all of his accusations by which he holds us against the justice of God. He descended to break that hold forever. So when, when Christ arose, this is what the disciples would have seen, and then he ascended into heaven, we need to recognize it was a triumphant Ascension. He had come to wage war against sin, against the devil, against every evil power, uh, and he had them utterly vanquished and defeated on the cross when he broke the power of Satan's accusations against us. Uh, uh, And so no longer can Satan accuse us. Our guilt is paid, Uh, we belong to him. And, and so it's a triumphant ascension where he declares as he leaves, "My work is finished. My people belong to me, and now I go to rule over them." Uh, and so Paul quotes uh, Psalm sixty-eight, and it's a it's a really interesting quotation because he he does a couple of things with that psalm that uh, might not flow from the original context of the psalm, but but speak according to the spirit of the psalm. So, uh, Paul quotes this song. It's the song of God's victory over his enemies. And Paul says, when he, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Now, the, the picture there is of a, a king or a conqueror who goes away with all of his enemies tied up and bound before, behind him. And so, he marches on into his home city and all his enemies are humiliated uh, as, as they're tied up behind him and ultimately either killed or, or led into slavery. And the immediate application, we would think, would be to the powers of evil. And I believe that is part of the application here. He's victorious. All powers belong to him. The powers of evil are bound and they're on their way to execution. And yet... Um, there are other captives that the Lord Jesus is also leading. And those captives are you and me. We who were his enemies, but for whom he has a very different purpose. We, we sang about this also in, in Psalm 68, uh, just reading it from the Book of Praise. In our stanza 3, uh, it says, "...he leads the captive out to see the joys of newfound liberty." There's two kinds of captives following the Lord Jesus. There are those who are about to be executed, the powers of evil, Satan, demons. And there are those who used to be his enemies for whom he has a glorious plan to set them free. Uh, In both cases, though, it's a victorious, triumphant ascension. Uh, It's the public declaration by God uh, through Christ that his work is, is complete. Uh, the preacher Charles Spurgeon said it in, in this way. I, I thought this was a wonderful quote. Uh, the love that brought Christ here would have kept him here if all things necessary for our salvation had not been finished. Our Lord Jesus, says Spurgeon, is no sudden enthusiast who rashly commences an enterprise of which he quickly wearies before it's accomplished. He does not give up a work which he has once undertaken because he said, I have finished the work you gave me to do and then ascended to the Father. Uh, Spurgeon says, I feel safe in asserting that all that was required of the Lord Christ for the overthrow of the powers of darkness is performed and endured. All that is needed for the salvation of his redeemed is fully done. That's what the ascension speaks to. Everything that drove Christ to come to earth, Hebrews 12, the joy that was set before him, uh, that caused him to endure the cross and despise the shame, everything that drove him to earth had to have been finished if he was leaving earth because he's not one to give up halfway through. Uh, so what the disciples witnessed, and this is the, the, the most fundamental reason we celebrate, what they saw was the culmination and completion of, of all that Christ set out to do on earth. And we aren't the only ones who celebrated on that day. What the disciples witnessed as the Lord Jesus was going up was only the humble, uh, the small scene uh, of what happened compared to the one... Uh, ...that we get from heaven. Uh, we see it in Daniel 7, the Lord Jesus, the, the Son of Man... ...coming with the clouds of heaven, receiving authority and dominion. Uh, you, we sang about it also in Psalm 24, the, the song of the King... ...that was long understood to be also a song of, of the Messiah... The, ...the King who ascends the hill of God. And it gives a picture of the sort of song that the angels sang as Christ came on the clouds of heaven, that's the reference when it says, lift up your heads, you arch and gate, you leaders, you rulers, uh, you powers, you gatekeepers. Lift up your heads, speaking then to the angels, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. So you picture the angels uh, seeing the Lord coming on the clouds and asking one another, who is this king? He's just a man, right? He's a humble man. And the answer they give is, That is the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Again, who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. That was the song the angels were singing to each other as the, as the Lord Jesus ascended. As I mentioned, Daniel 7 also gives us a description of that scene. It's the reverse picture of the scene you get in Acts 1. So Acts 1 is the scene from below as the Lord Jesus goes up. Daniel 7 is the scene from above as the angels look down and they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds and coming before the throne of God. And there it says, when He got there before the throne of the Ancient of Days... Uh, He received, it was given to him, power, dominion, and an everlasting kingdom. The victorious, mighty warrior stood before the throne of God and received the kingdom that he had just won. And that brings us to the second thing that we should reflect on tonight, which is that Christ ascended into heaven in order to reign over earth. He didn't ascend into heaven because he has no more business here on earth. As I said before, it's not a pause or an interlude in Christ's work. He ascended into heaven because his business here on earth had only just begun. And the rightful place of authority from which he was going to do the rest of his work until he returns, that place is is at the throne of God. That's where the Lord Jesus, in His body, a body like yours and mine, resurrected, glorified, and yet a human body sits on the throne of God. Uh, the day will come when that throne is going to be here on earth, eventually. Romans, or, uh, Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation speaks about that. But for now, the place where Christ rules, where He needs to be, is at the throne of God, which is in heaven. But make no mistake, the fact that Jesus is in heaven does not mean he's not working here on earth. He's not retreated from earth in any way. Uh, This is what he said to his disciples also before he ascended in Matthew 28, uh, verse 18 to 20, familiar words. Uh, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. So, Why do we go? Why do we do evangelism? Why do we go out to the nations to call them to Jesus? Because the earth is already His. Because the dominion belongs to Him. Every human being is living in Jesus' world. And Jesus demands their obedience. And and so he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. Isn't that the words of a king? Teach the nations to observe all that I have commanded you. Those are the words of authority that come from a king. And he said, behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So Christ ascended into heaven not to leave us behind here on earth to fend for ourselves. He ascended there in order to reign here. And His intention is, for him, his intention is to do that by the power of His Spirit which He sends here on earth. And, and here we need to understand something really important about the kingdom of Christ, the reign of Christ. It's super important to understand the kingdom of Christ rightly. Uh, I had a debate yesterday at the evangelism table with a Jehovah's Witness, and this very issue uh, came up uh, because he's, they, they see the kingdom of God as, as purely a future Reality and something that will come by force and, and just destroy everyone but the, the small group of saved uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, but that's not the way the kingdom of Christ works. Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and justice that comes about through the changing of hearts already here and now. Through the Spirit and the proclamation of Of the gospel. Let me say it again, that that definition. Uh, Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of justice and righteousness, so no more evil, no more abuse, uh, no more injustice. It's a new world that Christ is building that comes about through the changing of hearts. It begins internally, in the heart, by persuasion and not by force as a result of the Spirit progressively working in the hearts and lives of individuals and families and communities and ultimately nations. See, Christ could have ascended into heaven and then sent out his legions of angels from there that all serve now at his command, and ordered them, he could have ordered them to just utterly destroy everything on earth, bring an end to evil once and for all, and do away with this horrible, sinful earth. Christ could have done so. It was not a pretty earth in the the days that the Lord Jesus ascended. And remember, we are among those who were his enemies at that time, we too would have been slaughtered. but that was not christ 's intention that 's not the kingdom that Christ wanted to build. This is what he told Peter right in the hour that he was arrested, and uh, Peter drew his sword and cut off the, the the ear of the servant of the high priest. And Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus could have destroyed the earth in a moment and he would have been righteous and just to do so. We all deserve it. We were his enemies, but that wasn't Jesus Plan. It's also what he told Pilate on, on the, the, in the hour when he was on trial. In John 18, Jesus answered Pilate, My kingdom is not of or from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my servants would have been fighting that I would not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world that 's not the kind of kingdom that Jesus was building, the sort of kingdom like Rome that comes and just subdues its enemies by force and destroys them and plants its feet upon them. Christ had a different kind of kingdom in mind. The kind of kingdom that Christ is building is a kingdom of righteousness and justice, a changed world, an end to evil, and it comes through the gracious conversion of hearts, including your heart and my heart, bringing them from darkness to light, from hostility to God to reconciliation and peace with God. And that's why Christ died on a cross. He did so to buy a people for himself from that dark world, from this hostile kingdom, to buy a people for himself, and through them begin the work of rebuilding the world. That's what he began to do when he went up to the throne of God. And the, kingdom, the kingdom-building work that he did, it began on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples were, became apostles and were sent out into, into the world. And from that day, that kingdom-building work has never stopped. Christ is right now, through his Spirit, in our midst, here in Elora, as well as out in the world, in the mission fields, in our own community, Christ is out there turning the hearts of people to himself, calling those whom he's bought for himself, who belong to him because he purchased them with his blood. He's calling them now, his sheep, to himself. As he declared in John 6, all whom the Father has given to me will come to me. They will. He's doing that work Right now, and the world is changing, and it will not stop changing until the day that Christ returns. Revelation 11 uh, gives a, a picture of, of uh, that day that when the seventh angel blows his trumpet. This is Revelation, Revelation 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the work that Christ is doing right now. It's interesting the word, that's the phrasing that's used, because we might expect the angels to say, the kingdoms of the world have been destroyed and replaced with the kingdom of Christ. But it says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of of Christ. That's the kind of kingdom Christ is building, one that transforms this world, changes it and makes it into a new world. Instead of destroying his enemies, instead turning his enemies to himself so that they become his kingdom. That's the work than that Christ is doing now. And to accomplish that task, He sends from heaven His Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, uh, to do that work here on earth. So in that regard, it's important to understand, our catechism also highlights this, Christ in His body is in heaven, but Christ in His Spirit, being God, is also here on earth. In that regard, He has not left us, as He promised, right, in Matthew Twenty-eight. I will never leave or forsake you. Christ in His Spirit is here among us, and and, th- and that's the third thing that we want to reflect on. Then, from heaven, Christ gives His gifts. This is what He told the apostles already in uh, Luke twenty-four. We read it also in Acts one, but it's it's really explicit in Luke twenty-four, verse forty-nine. Uh, Right before he ascended, he told them, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The gift of the Holy Spirit is a gift that could only be given after Christ had uh, ascended. Once Christ was presented to the Father, victorious, that he could say, I have finished the work you've called me to do, then, Daniel 7, to him was given a dominion and a kingdom, and that having that dominion gave Christ the right to send his spirit into this world to start taking that dominion for himself. Uh, so the gift of the spirit uh, had to come only after Christ ascended. It's a gift that comes from the exalted victorious Christ that could not come before he was exalted. So also, uh, Peter says in Acts 2, verse 33, on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter declares to the Jews there, he says, "...being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing." So Christ ascended in order to be able to give the world that gift, the gift that the world most desperately needs, the Holy Spirit to regenerate hearts, instill faith, turn this world from a world that was hostile to God to a world that can be called the kingdom of Christ. Now, uh, there's a second uh, interesting issue with how Paul quotes Psalm 68, uh, so, I previously mentioned uh, how uh, I previously mentioned one way that that Paul uh, sort of plays with this psalm uh, there's another one here uh, if you look at psalm sixty eight in the Old Testament in verse eighteen, the verse that Paul is quoting, he says, "You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train." and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Uh, So, in Psalm 68, the picture is of victorious God going up, receiving tribute, receiving gifts from men. But in Ephesians 4, verse 8, Paul seems to deliberately misquote the psalm. He, He says in Ephesians 4, verse 8, Uh, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So, in Psalm 68, he's receiving gifts. In Ephesians 4, he's giving them. Well, the reason for this discrepancy lies right in the heart of Psalm 68 itself. Again, Psalm 68 is the song of God's victory, God's uh, triumph as He enters His sanctuary to begin His rule over the world. And, and Psalm 68 recognizes that at the heart of that victory, at the heart of God's triumph over the world, uh, you, you'll, you'll find that it's a, it's a good triumph, it's a good victory, it's a good kingdom that God sits in his throne to begin ruling over. And so, uh, when it speaks of taking captives, we saw that already. Uh, Usually a king comes and takes captives to enslave them or kill them. But in this case, the king takes captives in order to give them liberty. And here also, in the giving of gifts. Uh, The reference that that Paul is working with, or the, the concept that Paul is working with, is the gifts are the people themselves. So the people give themselves to this king. And uh, they see, the psalm seems to be referring especially to the Levites, people of whom God declared, they are mine, they are devoted to me to work in my sanctuary. Uh, so the people give themselves to the king, but Paul recognizes when that happens, they become his gifts to the world. When people give themselves to God, they become His gift to the world. And that's the the whole point that Paul is trying to draw out in Ephesians uh, 4. He says, um, God gave His gifts, His ministers, and he mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, and, and indeed every Christian in their own ministry of service and love. They are now... Having given themselves to God, that's their tribute, they are now God's gift to His church. Uh, Equipped and empowered by His Spirit, they become very precious gifts that God places in His kingdom. So Christ ascended from heaven in order to reign over earth, and there from heaven He gives us the greatest gift of all, which is His Holy Spirit, such that we, filled with His Spirit, empowered by His Spirit, become His gift to one another. Uh, We serve Him by serving and blessing and loving one another. That's the point that Paul is drawing out. The tribute that the king receives is the very same tribute that he gives. I guess you wouldn't say tribute. The gift that he gives... To the world. And you see this in the Lord Jesus' teaching as well. Think of Matthew 25, verse 34, um, where he, he speaks of what the kingdom will be like. And he says, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food, I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to see me. Those are gifts, right? That the people are giving to the king. Visiting, giving, giving him water, giving, uh, serving him in his sickness, visiting him in prison. They're gifts that we give to Christ in our service of love to him. Uh, but the righteous will, ask, will answer him, Lord, when did you... We see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink, uh, etc. When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothed you, or uh, sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. The gift that we give to Christ is what he uses to give as a gift to one another. That's what makes the kingdom in God's providence uh, such a wonderful, joyful kingdom because it's filled with individuals giving themselves to His service in such a way that they are a great blessing to one another. So, brothers and sisters, Ascension Day is indeed a day to celebrate. It's a day to celebrate the victory of Christ over sin and over every evil power. It's a day to celebrate the the completion of his perfect work here on earth. It's a day also to celebrate his dominion over this world. As uh, Abraham Kuyper is famous uh, uh, for saying that not one square inch of this world, uh, there is not one square inch over which Christ does not say this is mine. Uh, The whole world belongs to Christ. Ascension Day is a day to celebrate that fact. And Ascension Day is also a day to celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit, which will come on Pentecost, by which we become Christ's gift to one another and to this world, calling this world to faith and service to our King Jesus. Amen. Let's respond by singing from Psalm 68, stanzas 7, 8, and 10.